Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Unique New York. Unique New York. I pooped my pants. I pooped them good. Paul pooped his pants. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that doesn't catch on. It's a warm-up exercise. Oh, you've been waiting to flip me off that whole time? That's really sad, Paul. (laughs) I know, you saw me. (laughs) Okay. Welcome back to the American Dad podcast. Let's go ahead and say it again because I said today in (laughs) reference. Why did you just say today suddenly? I don't know. Okay, welcome back to the American Dad podcast. It's been... It's been a bit, but we're back. Yeah. Proving we're still alive. Yeah, sure. And still sometimes thinking about this podcast. We think about it. I thought about leaving this podcast outside of a fire station. (laughs) (laughs) If you only knew how close we were. To blowing the whole thing up. Fit your fat asses in a box outside (laughs) of that fire station. But things happen, and people start donating to the podcast and Ugh. continue to donate to the podcast, Stop. and the guilt builds up like two monkeys on your shoulders. Hey, fat bastards have developed fat hearts during this pandemic. Stop giving. <laughs> I guess we should start that way. By calling them fat bastards? Yeah, we should start by calling them out. I've got a lot of problems with you people, <laughs> and you're going to hear about them. Patron saint of this podcast, oh. who donates Often. donuts. Yeah. Oh, now see that. If you would start sending some donuts, I'd stop calling y'all fat. I'd be the fat one there. Donates donuts every month at no deuces. Paul. On Instagram. Has, you can find an interaction. I, I don't know what happened. I just I just need people to know that Houston Astros have the ugliest female fans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why their fans are called the dog fans. <laughs> Paul is so upset by anyone ever mentioning him by name, even though he does this podcast for like years. It. I don't like it. No, it's my name. It's not yours. Keep my name <laughs> out of your Houston Astro loving mouth. <laughs> Thank you, No Deuces, for the continued guilt. Bastard. But thanks. It's like a slow drip water torture until we start making the podcast again. Ew. The next patron we would like to thank is Jake or J. Ed Dubs on Instagram. Get out there, find J.A. Dubs. For sponsoring this episode, mm-hmm. this episode that we're about to talk about. Next up, Raphael, don't know if you pronounce it a different way, pronounce it like the turtle. Yeah. That's slash paper. artist. Artist? The best Ninja Turtle. And Raphael. Worst Renaissance artist. Michelangelo is the best Ninja Turtle, but whatever, we'll keep going. What color is that one? Orange. The mm. red is the, he's the grumpy one. Orange one is the one who's like Goofy. always high, stealing the scene. Always stealing the pizza. Yeah. Raphael, a.k.a. Baby Metal, which I assume is a reference to a Japanese girl group from a while ago I also that does that. metal things about, like, chocolate and stuff. In a baby voice. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole thing. YouTube it. Baby Metal. And also, user handle on Instagram is Geist98. And as far as I can tell, Geist is another metal band. So, like metal-loving yeah, Raphael. A lot of metal enthusiasts in our fan base, I think. And a friend group. Oh, yeah. There's more. Huh. Surprising. Right? Can't we all just listen to Carly Rae Jepsen? Yeah. That's all. Paul listens exclusively to Carly Rae Jepsen, which I can Love attest it. to because Paul had his catalytic converter <laughs> stolen. It's, there's a rash of catalytic <laughs> converter thieving going on in this country. And Trey heard it and didn't do anything about <laughs> it because it was too late at night. Trey heard it, looked out the window, gave him a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> went back to bed anyway so paul got a new car i yeah. go into that car now he's listening to things that aren't old scratched up cds 
I've downloaded that old scratched up music. I've got all the John Mayer stuff on my phone. <laughs> that doesn't matter, Paul, because I know you're only listening to a very long playlist of Carly Rae Jepsen all the time. Yeah. She just seems so happy. It's always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, deep cuts only. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, our fourth patron. There's more of her. Is an Instagrammer who does the American Dad newspaper gag but he writes in his own joke every day. His IG handle is, is Daily American Dad Newspaper underscores between the words. There you go. They're all the people yeah. who have forced us to pick up our shit, gather all of our shit, and get it together. So he, he writes his own jokes? Game. They're not just from the show? Uh, as far as I can tell, yeah. it's kind of based on current stuff. And Raphael is also an artist. Oh, God. As far as I can tell, Guys98 has photography on his. All right. Good job, everybody. J. Dubs, J. Not, Ed not Dubs, dad photography. a.k.a. Jake, has photography of his cat Some, on his Instagram. Real sexy barnyard stuff. It looks like he has cats that rule his house in much the same way as we do. Aww. And No Deuces has a bunch of Houston Astros, Astros stuff, obviously. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't be able to insult him. So. Yeah, about his beloved Houston ass hats. All right. You don't even know baseball. I know all sorts of stuff about baseball. Okay, we'll watch a baseball game then, Paul. Oh, God, no. We're going to watch a full baseball game. You can kiss the full. <laughs> the fullest part of my ass. Oh, my God. Baseball okay. sucks. This is what I never wanted to do. I never wanted to do a long introduction to an episode. Mm -hmm. This week's episode is Blood Crieth Unto Heaven. Yeah, we're doing it. Thank you, patrons, for this. It is, yes, this was requested by J. Ed Dubs, and it is... Season 8, episode 10? Yep. Sure. On Hulu. Hmm. You don't got Hulu. I don't know what to do for you. You live in a different country. The wiki says it's inspired by... August, August Osage County. Which stole three hours from our life, and it's not. It's got nothing to do with that <laughs> stupid movie. I did not see a lot of similarities. Yeah, I don't see the relation maybe, at all. But maybe the play. Yeah, maybe it was more about the play. Saw that. Glenda got rocks. Yeah, what are you, made of money? <laughs> And I know everybody's like, the good thing about this podcast is they always stick to the same format. It's always. <laughs> they don't switch formats every other episode. That's not what we do. That's not what we're about. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, this is the one. This is the one that's definitely going to stick. And when we put out another episode in two weeks, you will know that this format <laughs> is real and it's forever. Here it is. All of us will take an act, and we will describe what happens, and we will do our own categories mm -hmm. for three, each act. Three acts. Three people. It matches. We each draw straws, or a piece of one straw, which is organic and made of toilet paper, Ugh. and we <laughs> decide who gets which act each week. So it's a mixed bag. We'll see how it goes. I am act one. The episode is framed in a play, and it is introduced by Sir Patrick Stewart, who is a theater genius. And it was supposedly written by some playwright and found by Sir Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. And he destroyed most of them by eating them. And the one that he didn't is the one that we're performing uh, in this episode. Why do we feel so honor bound to call him, sir? Like, it I does. Think he has been knighted. Still. Okay, so the Smiths are throwing a surprise birthday party for Stan. Steve is anxious to give his papa a gift. So he's got a gift prepared. Everybody's at the house. It's hot, so Francine asked the maid, Edna, who was Roger, to go to the basement and check on the air coldener. I like to call her Edna Maid, like <laughs> Edna Mode. Go ahead. Edna is intercepted by Haley, who is concerned about a mysterious matter. And 
Edna assures her that it's going to be fine. Just fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. Miss Haley. So then Bullock approaches Haley, commenting on her tired appearance, from which Haley is offended and she throws her champagne at him. Francine then accepts a phone call from her mother-in-law, Betty, who warns against Stan's party. Their relationship is obviously strained, as evidenced by Francine saying, we have a strained relationship. <laughs> so at that point, Stan arrives to the surprise party. He's surprised, to be sure, but he's offended and he storms off. Francine encourages the party to stay, playing some melancholy dance music. Francine goes to get an explanation from Stan, because she's embarrassed. Stan then recalls his eighth birthday and the trauma of his father leaving the family on that day with a little cutaway segment with giant clothes jumping into a briefcase. Steve enters and presents his gift. Stan refuses it, punches a hole in the kitchen wall, runs to his car, and screeches away. So Steve is going to be constantly trying to give Stan this gift. Mm -hmm. All hope appears lost, but Francine calls in a favor from the favor department. Meanwhile, Stan is on a bender eating crab and driving when sirens wail. And at this part, we learn that the stage has sort of a two-story type thing. I'm not sure if this is actually any stage has this real mechanism, but it would be pretty impressive if it did. Bullet goes down to the basement to get more champagne because they've run out because people keep throwing it into people's faces. <laughs> and they start talking. Bullock immediately advances on Edna, embracing and kissing her. Edna resists at first, but soon they are rounding the bases. Ooh, baseball. Houston okay. Astros. <laughs> Later that night, an Irish officer returns Stan to the Smythe home and a worried Francine, who just got off the phone with Mrs. Fartface. <laughs> the lights raised to reveal Stan's father is in the living room. Francine's favor has allowed him to be temporarily released from prison. Oh. Your daddy. So Stan's got some kind of hang-up about his birthday that revolves around his father having left them on that day, and now he confronts his father, and there's your act one. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Paul, were you going to say something? I might have. Not to put me on the spot, I don't want to. But I was going to say that you were saying that the stage in Augustosis County was multi-floor, right? Got it. Hell if I know. Sure. I've told that lie before. I, I don't know. I don't remember Googling that, but I do think that it sounds dangerous. It seems like people would be getting caught up in the gears of a moving stage. <laughs> Comments, categories? I like how Betty looks when they first introduce her. Like, I really like the lighting that they put. It's like sort of like a little four cloverleaf thing under her feet. Yeah, she's dressed like... Cruella DeVille or something. Okay, mm -hmm. so we all agree that she looks like Cruella <laughs> I'm ready for some categories. Give me the candy. So we're going to do the categories for just act one. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through all the categories after every act. Yes. Okay. So claps for the grips. I picked out Cheryl Hewitt. She's credited with lip assignment for 49 Cleveland Show episodes, 23 Bob's Burgers episodes, and 187 American Dad episodes. Jesus. Lip assignment? I think that it's lip animation, specifically matching the lips to... The sounds. Oh, that's a good job to have. Basically, she started midway through season four, and I think she's worked on every episode since then. What's her name? Cheryl Hewitt. Hugheart. Spelled Hugheart. Okay, good. Clap for the grips. Way to go, Mrs. Hugheart. Getting steady work and lip assignment. Potent quotables? It's devil farted thick today. Damn skippy, that's the quotable. If you remember nothing from this episode, you'll remember devil farted thick today. We got a face fill, didn't we? Sorry, Jerry. Go ahead, Paul. No, that was it. I was going to steal Trace Thunder and say we got baseball. Then maybe an alternate line is, go easy, bro. Oh, I do like that one. I like the back and forth with Stan and his dad, where he's like, it's your daddy. <laughs> your dad. Going for a swim <laughs> for a box of flip-flops. Stan forgets to take off his hat after his flashback sequence. He has to run back to the kitchen, and then he leaves his hat on. <laughs> and another detail you may not notice is that the stairs in the living room are painted, whereas the stairs in the basement are real. 
Damn. Mm. Huh. So it's not in the living room. It's just a backdrop. Architecture. Mm. The best Roger moment I picked out when Roger says, I've spoken out of turn and then starts to accept the looks kisses. Mm. Turns his face away and then it's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally get the Bullock Roger love story yeah. that everybody's been waiting for. You yeah. know that they would be really good together if there yeah. was like a Jenny from the block character that oh. could be with Bullock for a long time. It just seems like an episode that already exists. So for my doing research category, there's a novel that's packed into the suitcase during Stan's Shogun. flashback. Name of the novel is Shogun. <laughs> Are there any other references? No. In, uh, no. That's like the only thing. No, I mean, uh, in American Dad, I don't know. If... Oh, I don't think so. I didn't know anything about this novel. But mm -hmm. it's a 1975 novel that's credited for having a great impact on Western interest in Japan. As much as 50% of students taking college courses about Japan in 1980 had read the novel. So it spurred a lot of people hmm. into learning stuff about Japan and hmm. Japanese and that kind of stuff. The writer, James Clavel, fought the Japanese in the Pacific during World War II. He was British. He was shot in the face and captured. He spent the rest of his time in World War II as a POW in the Changi prison, where 14 out of 15 prisoners died. Oh, shit. So it seems like he would have beef with Japan. Uh-huh. But he sort of glamorized Japan in the book. But the book is sort of about a last samurai type situation where it's a white guy who goes to Japan and becomes a samurai or something. Oh. And it's sort of a, an interesting anecdote. A Middle Eastern oil sheik offered Clavel a full tanker of oil if he would do for the image of his country what Clavel did for Japan. So the perception of the book was that it popularized Japan and made Japan look good. I don't think that you can just reproduce that lightning in a bottle. No, no I mean, implying that it was under his control. He just sort of... Also, why don't you just give me the money instead of <laughs> the tulips? I can't do anything with a tank full of oil. Yeah, what am I going to do with the oil? Is that everything? That's pretty much it. Oh, golden turd, right? Yeah, and then there's the golden turd category. And I say a 50s good boy Steve Funko. Mm. Oh, that would be cute. Fun. Co. Do you think Funko is like fun company? Could yeah. be, but they spell it with a K. Yeah. But, but that's like, what's fun about them. They right, spell well, it with a K. Yeah, that's, that's wacky. That's how crazy they are. Funky. Funky. I will add two things to the Shogun thing. There was a miniseries made just a couple years after the book was released, and it was the second most watched miniseries ever after Roots. Like 100 million people watched it. It was a big thing. FX is doing another miniseries. Oh, shit. Are they? Based on Shogun, yeah. Oh, we need to watch that. I don't we'll think it's come out it. yet, but yeah. it's it's going to come out. I haven't even seen The Last Samurai. I'm not watching that. Maybe I series? watched The Last Samurai. It was disappointing. Well, there's some controversy around whether or not it is actually historical. I think that they ran the series in Japan, that series that you were talking about that was very popular, yeah. but it was panned in Japan. <laughs> it started out popular, but then people just stopped watching it. They aired it like every day of a week, and then the viewership just dropped off. Because... Yeesh. Okay. Act two. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> First off, I'm upset about getting the second act. <laughs> we drew straws, and I'm sure it was all fair, but I'm pretty sure I was screwed into getting the second act. <laughs> I believe that this was a conspiracy to make me look stupid because <laughs> everybody knew I wouldn't be able to explain this nonsense about the episode being a play and why Patrick Stewart is talking to cartoons. <laughs> First off, mm -hmm. I just want to mention... Francine is being incredibly thoughtful in this episode. Uh -huh. She's being a damn good wife, and she blackmails her brother, the prison warden, into letting a longtime fugitive have a pass from prison with really minimum security. <laughs> like, nobody. <laughs> that prison warden is risking his livelihood just to make Francine happy, and nobody appreciates <laughs> At one point, Jack is swimming in an above-ground pool with Steve. Jack barely knows Steve. They don't spend any time together. Why do they think Jack won't just drown Steve or take him hostage to get out of prison? That would have been awesome yeah. if he had taken Steve hostage. 
And all Francine gets for her trouble is Stan walking around the house chugging Joe Daniello whiskey and shattering glass pitchers while wearing a wife beater. Okay, now the actual story. <laughs> Patrick Stewart opens with a joke that does not land. <laughs> he then gives an incredibly mean look into the camera. Right as the play starts, you can see him twitching with rage. <laughs> He's so mad that that a chew joke did not land. <laughs> Patrick Stewart and Avery Bullock are the same person. Mm -hmm. Patrick Stewart is some sort of time lord who can exist in both human and cartoon form. Mm. After Haley broke up with Patrick Stewart and lied about losing the baby, Patrick Stewart lost his mind because he couldn't make a cartoon fall in love with him. Ever since then, Patrick Stewart has been murdering cartoons. Okay. Now He has like an eraser? Yeah. Patrick Stewart in the play cast himself as a love interest of Roger, who's the show's most popular character. In any other episode, Jeff would be playing the Avery or the Bullock part uh -huh. just because it makes sense. But it's not Jeff because Patrick Stewart murdered Jeff. <laughs> when Bullock is hanging out with Edna Mode, maid Roger, he says that Roger's unlike any maid he's ever known. And it's because he doesn't hate Roger. He typically hates maids. He's murdered nine Jamaican maids. <laughs> he's profiling these poor maids. Patrick Stewart wants to stay down in the basement with Roger forever because he doesn't want Roger to go back to his home and see all of the dead Jamaican maids. Patrick Stewart, super rage-filled guy. When the baby cries, he gets really mad and says, show yourself, baby, like he's going to murder the fucking baby. <laughs> After Avery leaves the basement, they should have made the baby wipe its brow when Roger said, damn this heat, because it would have been super cute. <laughs> like, they really missed that one. Yeah, because they've always done synchronized wiping when yeah. they say that it's hot. Uh-huh. Like... When he said it, I was like looking, waiting for the baby to do it, and it didn't do it. And that's my biggest disappointment from this episode. <laughs> now to Stan and Jack. I think Jack planned the whole clown whore incident. I think he did it. Because Jack asked Stan, why did he stay? I've never noticed that. Uh -huh. Jack actually looks sad when he says that. He wanted Stan to leave with him after the birthday party. Jack knew that Betty was going to kill him and leave him for the police commissioner. <laughs> Because she didn't just become a black widow when she was old. Betty's always been fucking evil. It's why Francine doesn't like her. It's why she looks like Cruella DeVille. She's evil as fuck. Jack wanted to take Stan away from Betty. Also, Jack was a skilled clown. He would have known how to make a non-shitty balloon animal. But he overfilled it, knowing that it would pop. And Stan would then go run to his mommy. So that's why Jack disguised as a clown and had his back to the wall. So he would only see his mother getting the clown pound. And that way he would blame his mom for breaking up the family and leave with Jack. But he didn't realize that Stan and Betty have a really edible relationship. Remember the scrub, scrub, scrub your VJ thing? <laughs> They've been doing that for 40 years. You're not breaking those two up. So Jack left brokenhearted, realizing Stan wouldn't leave with him. And that's why at the birthday party, his 40th or whatever this birthday party in the present is, Jack has no interest of watching Stan make a fool of himself with cake face and balloon because, you know, he knew the life they could have had. He wanted to raise him like Stan wanted to raise Steve as Steve Arena, because the wife makes the child weak. I kind of think that Jack also planned the balloon popping at this birthday party, knowing it would bring back those repressed thoughts that Stan had of seeing his mother have sex with a clown, mm -hmm. and then he would hate his mom. And that's exactly what happens. Stan pops the balloon, calls his mother a clown whore, Jack gets everything he wants. He is the hero of the story, and that's all I remember from the second <laughs> 
I can see now the problems that are going to arise yep. from having everybody interpret one act of the. There's no problem of the episode. That's what, on this their is own. what's going to happen now. Everybody, I'm from now on. I'm only watching seven minutes per card. <laughs> I'm just going to do whatever I want. It doesn't have to link to anything. I just have to talk about what happens on the screen. <laughs> okay, what is your? Are these your categories next? I think I've got some categories. Uh, the best Roger moment mm-hmm. is when he's like, "Tell me about Chicago style pizza, Avery. <laughs> is it dangerous? Were you scared? It's deep, very deep. <laughs> A golden turd." I like one of those wine shoes that sometimes it's like a dog laying on its back holding a bottle, but instead it would be Roger as like the maid chugging oh, champagne. Yeah. I think that could that'd be, be a wine cute. holder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, best line is either show yourself, baby, or doodle 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 Okay. Here's some research. Uh, the whole thing about you're not supposed to swim after you eat. It's a giant lie. I found that out through this, and it pissed me off immediately about my childhood. Every time we ate, we had to sit at the damn table after eating a sandwich. We couldn't swim. It's a crock of shit. In 1908, there was a Boy Scout handbook that said if you swim within 90 minutes of eating, you may drown, and it will be your own fault. (laughs) We hold no liability if you drown and you had eaten within 90 minutes. It's mostly just the Boy Scouts limiting their liability for drowning deaths. Yeah, but like it's been... At this point, yeah, like a 120-year lie. It's been such a thing. The American Red Cross put out an advisory review letting everybody know it's bullshit and you can swim after you eat, but nobody's going to read that. So here I am doing my public service. You can swim after you eat. You'll be fine. I guess I that it, was, it was just that you would get cramps, yeah, I thought potentially. it was just cramps. No, you're fine. You might. You could. But you could at any time, yeah, too. you could always get a cramp. You could get a cramp while you're hungry. So get in the pool. I'm not liable if you drown. Eat while you're in the pool. Luxury. Uh, box of flip-flops. When they are by the pool, you can actually see the garbage can in the counter from the kitchen in the background. Claps for the grips is Eric Summers. He's listed as a co-executive producer. He wrote the Ricky Spanish episode, so he's not a very good writer. <laughs> Before American Dad, he wrote for Cranky Anchors and John Together. Hmm. But here's the neat thing. When he was writing for American Dad, he met his future writing partner, Chris McKenna. Oh. Something must... As in Chris McKenna, Matt McKenna? Something must have happened because Chris had been riding with his brother, (laughs) Matt McKenna. Matt got royally screwed because Eric and Chris are now riding blockbusters like the past two Spider-Man movies, the Jumanji and Ant-Man sequels, and Matt McKenna is riding for a Hulu cartoon. I didn't bother figuring out which Hulu cartoon (laughs) it was because it doesn't matter. And Matt McKenna probably lives in an apartment next to Taste of Chicago, the worst <laughs> pizza place in Burma. Oh so my goodness. he really left his brother in the dust. Yeah, he just left him. Well, I mean, just because someone's your brother doesn't mean they're the best writing partner for you. <laughs> but they had made it. Like, they were already on a but show. They're, they they're were both, doing stuff. They're both in the same profession, around the same circles. One is, you know, big league in it, and the other one is on Hulu. Yeah. And if That's you are awkward. an Eric Summers type person, I would be thrilled to leave Paul in the dust. <laughs> Let's get this going. <laughs> That's an awkward Thanksgiving. Ugh. It's like a Matt Stone, Trey Parker situation, oh, except for, wasn't it another Matt? He really yeah. left that Matt by. That would be the worst day for that other South Park Door guy. Matt. If the productive South Park guy met somebody he liked more. <laughs> Ugh. His life could have turned out completely different. <laughs> Act three. You done? I'm done. Okay. Act three. A live action Patrick Stew Stew. <laughs> Prefaces the final act of the play by saying that he still can't figure out whether the play is a tragedy or a comedy, which is interesting because it was the only play he didn't need out of sheer jealousy. Right. We've already established that he read the play. He knows what's yeah. going on. He knows what's going to happen. 
Also, he's in the play, I guess. <laughs> An unconscious Stan convulses on the couch as Francine and Betty argue over whose fault it is that the party sucks. Stan wakes to the sound of Betty giving Francine a fresh one <laughs> and immediately points the finger at his mother for destroying his childhood home with her lust for curly wigs and big shoes. Steve tentatively approaches his father and asks, Is it gift time, Daddy? A symbolic invitation for Stan to be present in his current life. Mm. He's offering him the gift of the present, rather than continue to dwell in the past. Mm. Stan shoves Steve to the floor in anger. <laughs> he rejects his son's presence, his physical present, and the temporal present, as in past, present, future. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Steve is aghast at his father's treatment of him, and this is Steve's loss of innocence, basically. Jesus. Right? He's realized that his father's a mean, mean man. <laughs> Haley stands nearby, dumping the rest of a champagne bottle into her glass. Champagne is representative of guile. Of course it is. We all know that. Right? Uh. So, at first, Edna Maid only drinks water. Mm -hmm. And then when she drinks champagne, she immediately becomes capable of deception and... More. Baby murder. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Haley is dumping the rest of the champagne bottle, but she's frightened by Avery asking whether she's drinking to forget, and she drops it, which is her dropping her deception as well. Mm. Avery asks her why she lied about miscarrying their child, and Haley admits that she didn't want no damn baby. <laughs> and Avery's baby craziness was a huge turnoff. <laughs> Avery protests that they could have worked through her baby hangups together, and Haley suddenly knows that she's ready to raise their child together. They recouple. What? So soon? And walk downstairs singing the Chili's Baby Back Rib song. I want, I want my, my baby, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. Okay, they don't sing that song, but it would have been better if they had, right? Baby back, baby back. An unhinged Edna maid backs away from the stairs holding a pillow and informs Avery that they can be together now because the baby's over. And then Bullock and Haley are like, show me my baby. Avery and Haley are horrified, as is one audience member. Oh, God, no. <laughs> By the discovery of their still baby under the stairs, the three of them fall to their knees in anguish bathed in red stage light. Outside, Stan's dad recites a poem about swimming while swimming. Stan jumps into the pool with the excitement of a young boy. His father, happy to see Stan not being a sourpuss for once, shares something about himself. Stan, I was just reciting the swimming pool by Homer. Stan tells his father that he knows now that his mother's clown whoring was responsible for the dissolution of their family. After punching Stan for his hubris, Jack decides that it's time to tell Stan the truth, despite Betty's protestations. Jack, please don't go down that road. Not on those tires. <laughs> Jack begins from Stan's perspective of the story. Your balloon dog had just popped and you were looking for your mommy. Like a bitch. All right, I can't read it any better than that. That's perfect. Stan's father guides him towards the pain of enlightenment. Jeez. Push. Push the door open. <laughs> That's right. Your mother was receiving a clown pound, but what you don't know is that that clown was me. <laughs> the young and old Stan both fall to their knees and box of flip-flops. You can see Jack quickly removing his clown makeup as the lights come back on. Mm. Stan takes this to mean that everything was fine, but Jack reveals that everything wasn't fine. Because the clown outfit he wore to placate a bitching birthday stand was also the clown outfit he used to constantly rob fruit trucks around town. <laughs> Incidentally, Stan's invited guest, the police commissioner, was super horny to catch his dad. Stan's adult party guest promptly fingered his father and what? called for backup. 
which caused Jack to give it to Stan's mom one last time before fleeing, possibly to a supermarket bathroom in San Francisco, where he did some stuff that felt great at the time, but that he was ultimately ashamed of. Jack is taken back to prison, and Stan is left with the realization that the pain his mother felt and still feels from Jack's absence is his fault. Hmm. Steve confronts Stan with the birthday present that he refuses to acknowledge and opens it for him. It's a loaded... (laughs) (laughs) Loaded, active... Authentic 19th century army revolver. Stan thanks Steve for the very useful present. Oh, God. Which fills Steve with joy and then blows his brains out. (laughs) Francine rushes to Stan's side and Betty snarls at Francine. I hope the party was worth it. (laughs) Francine, feeling the burden of guilt, turns back to Steve and shouts, Steve, what have you done to this family? (laughs) Jesus. Once again, all fall to their knees in anguish. Klaus closes out the play by saying that Stan passed the guilt of destroying his family to Steve, and that's all he's getting. <laughs> the curtains close. Patrick Stewart is apparently asleep, but then claims it was only acting. He's a fucking liar. The curtains open again, and the cast come out to take their bows, and in another box of flip-flops, we get a wide shot of the audience, and we see Patrick Stewart sleeping in the upper left balcony. <laughs> so apparently, 11 of the plays were awesome. The 12th one was so bad, he couldn't stay awake through it, and that's why he doesn't know whether it's a tragedy or a comedy, because it's boring and he hates it. So here are my categories. All right. Claps for the grips. There's a live action sequences director named Steve Beers, birth name Stephen Carl Beers. He also directed the live action sequences of five episodes of Family Guy, Hmm. including the episode Seahorse Seashell Party, where Brian takes magic mushrooms during a storm and his lips get really dry and they stick to his gums. Wow. Stewie's like, let me get that for you. So this guy just sits around any time a Seth MacFarlane show is going to actually use something live action. But what what live action segment? The live action part is when Brian sees Stewie's lips in live action and he says, return the map. Return what you have stolen from me. Which is a reference to the 1981 British fantasy adventure film co-written, produced, and directed by Terry Gilliam. It's called Time Bandits. And it's the first film of Gilliam's trilogy of imagination in which he explores the craziness of our awkwardly ordered society and the desire to escape it through whatever means possible. So Time Bandits is the first one. It's through the eyes of a child. Brazil is the second one. So this is going into your research. No. Brazil is the second one, and it's through the eyes of a man in his 30s, and then Munchausen is through the eyes of an elderly man. So we need to watch that trilogy. Brazil is very memorable. Have you seen it? It's very memorable. Yeah. There's like a scene where um, women are getting plastic surgery, and they're pulling their skin from their face around their head and like wrapping them in saran wrap. It's memorable. You said we were only allowed one research. Back to Beers. He was also... (laughs) The Beers. He was also a producer on Heat Vision and Jack. Okay. Co-executive producer on Bones season one through nine. David Boreanis, I assume that's how you pronounce his name, discusses having a baby with Stewie. Like he's hallucinating Stewie on the TV screen (laughs) in a sperm bank collection room. That's gross. He hallucinates him there, and he hallucinates him during an investigation in, like, his little high chair next to the killer. Wow, Fox was desperate for crossovers. So he knew people from both. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just, I was looking for a connection between Bones and this, but Stewie's, like, talking to him about how he's ignoring the subject of having a child, and then his partner- voiced by Seth MacFarlane. 
Yeah. Probably. Well, Stewie is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For and the then show. in Bones. Yeah. 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 Um, and then his partner pulls him out of the room because he's just talking to somebody who's not there. <laughs> and then Stewie's like, you're leaving a helpless child alone with the killer. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute. Uh-huh. Potent quotables. What on Lucifer's black beach have you done? Yeah, that's pretty good. And then when Stan says, it was my fault you left. And then Jack is like, bingo. <laughs> bingo. Best Roger moment. There's not many, but he's just uh. like, it's quiet now. Just like you wanted. <laughs> Doing research. I did my research on Homeric poetry. Sure. As because one would. he says that swimming pool is by Homer, by Homer yeah. which is obviously not true. Really? How's that obvious? <laughs> Who's that obvious to <laughs> But in Homer, I was looking for allusions to swimming. Okay. Uh, water in general, which represents the unknown, right? So there are two characters named Ajax, one of whom is Ajax the Great, and the other one is Ajax the Lesser. I think that Stan is based on Ajax the Lesser, although Ajax the Great does stab himself with a sword, so he commits suicide at the end. Mm. But Ajax the Lesser is a guy who gets in trouble with Athena because Athena has a place where people come to worship her and it's like sanctuary. If you're in there, they can't tear you out of there. Ajax the Lesser takes a woman out of the temple of Athena. Because they keep maids in Athena's temple. Well, no, this is actually the daughter of a king, Cassandra. The rape of Cassandra. Okay, so she just happened to be there. Well, no, she was there seeking sanctuary because I think that they were pillaging Troy or something. Okay, so she okay, runs Ajax there. She's like clinging to the statue of Athena. He is pulling her out. He rapes her inside of the temple. Mm. Athena's pissed. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to wreck everything if you don't kill him. Yeah. And then the people in the town are like, all right, I guess we got to kill you. And then he goes into the temple declaring sanctuary. And they have to respect that because they don't want to get in trouble with the yeah. gods either. So they go out to sea. Athena sinks a bunch of the ships. Somehow, Ajax the Lesser finds a rock to sit on, and he's like, ha ha, double bird, fuck you. I'm a golden god, which pisses off Poseidon. Man. So he kills him. So this is how- Poseidon kills Ajax? Yeah. This is how it goes. Ajax was drowned. His ships were sunk. Poseidon first drove him to the rocks of Jairi, then rescued him from the sea. He would have lived despite Athena's hatred, but he made a crazy boast that he survived the waves against the wishes of the gods. Mm-mm. This is when Stan is saying, it wasn't your fault, it was my mom's fault. He's blaming everybody but himself. Yeah. Poseidon heard his rash words. This is when Jack punches Stan in the face. Max, At once he seized his trident in mighty hands and hit the Jiren rock. One half remained, the other on which Ajax sat as he boasted, cracked right off and fell into the sea and carried him deep down. The boundless waves washed over him. He drank the salty brine and died. Hmm. So that was the waves of regret. His mother and his father were both protecting him from the truth because he's kind of a a bitch about things. Also, I thought it was cute that Stan's dad has a prison swimsuit that also has the stripes on. (laughs) Okay, so that's my research. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we all agree that Stan is Ajax the Lesser. Yeah. I expected this well, research from you. Who else could he be? Right. So many characters that I can think of, though, from the Odyssey and the Iliad, you know? But no, yeah, that's the best character. <laughs> this is the most related. He's literally in the sea. He's in the pool with his dad, who is Poseidon. Swim, swim, swim. I also thought that it was interesting that he, like, punches him in, I don't know what you call it, one 
quadrangle of his chin yeah, and then on the top larger part of his chin. Yeah, and that's a, the punch is like, how did they do this in the play setting? Mm-hmm. How are they applying this makeup? That's true. That's a live action smack. Golden turd. Stan's father in the pool as he holds up his three fingers in the sexually suggestive hand gesture known as the shocker, also known colloquially as two in the pink, one in the stink. Jack says the hand of fate is about to extend three of its fingers and gives Stan one hell of a shocker. That's what you want. You want a statue of him like that, like Vulcan. He's got his like little pool donut and he's in the pool in his prison swimsuit holding up his only three fingers. It's really good. I think that you'll agree that you would like this as a tiny miniature. And that's my stuff. Yeah. Hell yeah. There's our three acts. Three act structure. One for everybody. That's why we can't have four people on this podcast. <laughs> my brain. My brain, she hurts. Any comments on anything? No, okay, no, I was fully expecting you to talk about Ajax the Lesser. This isn't surprising to me. You know, I did my own few hours of Homerian histories. And yeah, I was like, it's either going to be Ajax the Lesser or... That, w- that was really the only one. It's the only one could have gone Stop so it does, it does turn out to be a tragedy. Oh, uh, yes. Both stories and tragically. Not it's a, a lot very of American... different episode. I think a lot of people have... Uh, I think it's it's divisive. Right. It's only divisive because Patrick Stewart has gone on record as being pro-assisted suicide. That was a real shock to people. That was the shocker to the British. That's yeah, it's the only interesting research I've ever found about Patrick Stewart. Other than that, he's just an old bald man. So he has come out as saying pro-assisted suicide? Yeah, it's just because he likes murdering people. He wants to be there to assist and do the murdering. Maybe it's because he's 100 years old. Right, he wants to be able to go out on his own terms. He's only 56. (laughs) He's not 56, you lying sack of crap. (laughs) He has been bald since he was 56. (laughs) That was in 1956. (laughs) He was 16. (laughs) Roger's very subdued in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, other than murdering the baby, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the golden turd. Just him as that character is adorable. It's really it's, cute. It's not your usual wacky Roger. He's in character through the whole thing. He's the best actor of the bunch. Thank you again to Jay Dubs and No Deuces and Daily American Dad Newspaper and Geist 98 for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks, everybody. And if we don't 100% drop the balls, we'll be back in two weeks. With another episode, as requested by one of the people who pays us money. (laughs) Money from people that I don't love. (laughs) Isn't that the episode? Max Jets. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thank you and good night. Bye. Not the bonnet you already have. Yeah, that is true. I already have a bonnet. You don't have to get me one. The videos are you talking for the cats in their supposed voice. Patrick. (laughs)